0: I don't know, you get flamed up about these things a little bit more than I do, TJ. This is
1: why I have a podcast. I, I wanna talk about these things. I wanna ask I wanna ask the hard questions in life. Why are there plot holes in movies, Chad? Why are there plot holes?
0: Especially real life ones.
1: Yeah, especially the ones in real life. Like can we can we clear those up please like now? This is episode sixty-five of the Movie Bite Podcast, where we discuss praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, and more. Today is Thursday, October seventeenth, two thousand thirteen. I'm your host TJ, and joining me tonight to ward off the pirates surrounding the Movie Bite ship is Chad Hopkins. Good evening, Chad. <laughs> How are
0: you? I am doing all right, TJ. Thanks for the intro.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like I maybe I've boxed myself into a corner with these because you know I've got to come up with something clever every week and. You know, they're cheesy and lame and, you know, whatever, but I, I continue on with them. So
0: that's the best part.
1: Okay. You think it's the best part? Well, we'll keep it then. <laughs> we'll keep it then. How's your week, Ben?
0: Busy. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good busy. I mean, nothing I can't handle.
1: Yeah. Mine's been pretty busy too. And that's why we're recording on Thursday rather than Wednesday. Now that we're not doing the streaming it live anymore and people have to wait until, uh, and I'm, I'm also making adjustments to my mixer on the fly here because my voice is too quiet on the waveforms, not looking great. So um, so I'm trying to do two things at once. That's why I'm not be able to talk about two things at once. Yeah, I mean, so we're not recording on Wednesday because we have that flexibility a little more now that now that we're not uh, streaming the show live anymore. So right works out better for both of us, I think. And since we weren't getting any live listeners, it uh, works out pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's uh, let's dive in and talk about a few things here. And the first thing that we have uh, on the list before we get to our review of Captain Phillips is uh, a follow up from last week's uh, review of Gravity. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of podcasts Chad has a section called Follow Up, and we don't often get to do it on the Movie Byte podcast. But so this is uh, this is somewhat related to Gravity because it's about gravity. And a reporter asks gravity director Alfonso Cuaron if it was difficult filming in space. Now, (laughs) he's trying to spin this off now, it looks like, as a kind of a joke, like he was trying to be funny or whatever. I'm not convinced.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know. The, The uh article says that he's a field reporter for comedic talk show Uh, maybe
1: i suppose it could have been in just but there was nothing like i don't know it was a little weird (laughs) seeing that headline yeah
0: i mean it looked pretty (laughs) authentic i guess but uh i don't know if i'd ever have gone so far to actually assume that they filmed it in space
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) no I, i i certainly wouldn't have uh, so, during a recent press conference, the to promote his sci-fi thriller drama, the Gravity director Alfonso Cuarón was finally asked the one question reporters have bizarrely neglected to put forward: What was it like filming a movie in space? <laughs> <clears throat> what were the technical and what were the technical and human difficulties of filming in space? Asked a reporter representing Mexico TV's as was it very difficult, very complicated to film in space? Did the camera operators get sick? <laughs> well, yes, we took some cameras there aboard the Soy- Soyuz. Is that how you say that? Where, was, yes. Where we, we were in space for three and a half months, Kiron responded to laughter from attendees. I got really sick during training. It has since been revealed that the credulous journalist behind the now infamous Inquiry is Carlos El Capi Perez, a field reporter from the comedic talk show Debrien Estar Trebejendo... Uh, you should be working. This is all, you know, uh, Spanish. Um, I'd play the video, but it's all in Spanish. I didn't understand a word of it. So, (laughs) um, talking to Twitter to respond to comments about his questions. El Capi called out his detractors. Excuse me, Twitter, for being a professional committed to information. Don't tell me I was the only one who had that doubt. Uh, (laughs) 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 so that was pretty funny. Little, yeah, little, in the bottom bit. of the
0: article, it talks about how uh, his bravery, the, the <laughs> interviewer's bravery has emboldened other people to ask other directors famous questions. And one at the bottom says, Mr. Peter Jackson, what were the technical and human difficulties of filming in Mordor?
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so on, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Um <laughs>
0: right.
1: Yeah, but, you know, it does, it does kind of bring to mind, like, you know movies really are kind of magical and we're so um in fact uh i can't remember exactly what we were talking about the other day um but uh, my wife and i were talking about how jaded we are now to to certain things where um oh boy it's like right on the tip of my brain i hate it when that happens but but just you know like things that people Oh, I remember we were watching um, we were watching uh, the 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 new Wizard of Oz uh, where he goes to Oz. Uh, why is this? Man, my brain is really oh. fried tonight. Um, um, the Oz the Great and Powerful. Oz the Great and Powerful. Thank you. Yes, uh, great film. Yeah. I I enjoy it. Um, but so we were watching that, and at the very beginning, you know, there's this scene where he uh, Oz is is doing you know quote unquote magic. You know, it's all illusionary stuff, right? And, and the audience is like. Expecting real miracles and and things, uh, you know, like like he's a real magician. He can do things that are supernatural, and mm-hmm. we're, we're kind of sitting here going, yeah, right. Like like audiences in that you know would have really not known what was going on and, and stuff, e- even if they couldn't tell exactly how it was done. I mean, because when you think about it, when we go to see illusionists, we're impressed by the illusionist ability, but we're not fooled, right? Well. Right. You know, so so my wife and I are kind of poo pooing this scene, and then as we get to think about, it, we're going, well, maybe it's maybe people really did think back in those days that he was doing something mystical or or beyond reason, and you know we're kind of jaded to these sorts of things as a modern audience because of the high availability availability of information and technology to us. Like we're not wowed by things
0: as much anymore. Right. So we're desensitized in a sense. Yes.
1: Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. So um, this this kind of highlights that and and it kind of brings us back to the fact that, you know, movies really are magical. Gravity really did kind of take us to space. So, yeah, uh, it's pretty interesting uh, thoughts and and kind of, uh, you know, thinking about that. So uh, anyway, uh, so that was a little bit of follow up about gravity. Uh, I have one here that I thought might be interesting to you. Uh, Hans Zimmer is not so sure he wants to score uh, the Man of Steel 2. What what have you got to say about this?
0: Um, Man, I I hope he doesn't shy away from it because as you know, I really love to score for Man of Steel. You've you've said uh, as much, yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm trying to imagine somebody composing a sequel score to a Hans Zimmer score. And I don't I don't know. It just isn't working out in my head, um, well, especially Man of Steel.
1: I mean, I know that this is a completely different genre, but just as a thought exercise, um, think about the the best scored Harry Potter film. Which one is that, would you say?
0: Um, my opinion, John Williams, the very first one.
1: <sighs> All right. Well, we're going to have but, this, um, this thought exercise
0: is not working then. <laughs> OK, th- I, I, let me guess yours. Alexander Desplat. Deathly Hallows Part Two.
1: The splat, display. You say the splat, I say display. Uh, I, I just this splat. This sounds weird. He's like he just went the splat all over. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can never like like I go back and forth. Uh, I I tend to listen to uh, Deathly Hallows Part One, the soundtrack, more often than any other soundtrack. But I really like the soundtrack for the sixth film by Nicholas Hooper. Uh, and he did okay with a fifth one too. That was also Nicholas Hooper. My point is that I feel like both of those scores are better than anything John Williams ever did for the franchise as an, as an overall score. So my point is that I think that somebody possibly could come in and do a good job, but then I'm also recognizing I'm the wrong person to be talking about this because I didn't like the score for Man of steel. <laughs> and that's rare for me to not like a Zimmer score. Yeah. But you, you think that he he did it just right.
0: I think he nailed it, but I don't know. Like I said, that's just me, and uh, I I hope he comes to return for the second one because (laughs) I'd like to see him build on what he's established.
1: Well, I'll admit that um, I I was probably kind of uh, – my feelings for the score – Again, done by John Williams, I don't universally hate John Williams, but the score for the original Superman is just outweighing everything in my brain. like that's Superman to me. And I don't care how you how you're gonna redo Superman, the, it just felt wrong. I, so that's probably what's coloring my opinion, but it just seeing you know the 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 uh, blue suit and the in the red cape, but hearing the wrong music, I think was just jarring to my brain.
0: It might have something to do with it. I mean, I didn't grow up on the Christopher Reeve Superman. I saw it once or twice as a kid, but it wasn't something that I was overly overly attached to or saw a lot. And I was familiar with the John Williams music, but it wasn't something that was ingrained in my head as this is Superman.
1: I, on the other hand, wore out our VHS tape of Christopher Reeve Superman, the movie. Right. I
0: remember you talking about that before.
1: (laughs) Yes. So, I mean, we literally like the tape was really in bad shape when I don't know what happened to it. Probably. I think that we had a big move when I was about 14 and we a lot of stuff went missing. There was a tub of of cassette tapes and uh vcr tapes that like got water in it somehow that we had like these storage tubs and and that one got Mm. water in it and ruined a lot of cassette tapes i imagine that's what happened to it but it was pretty like it was unplayable anyway at that point (laughs) uh but yeah so so anyway the news here is that um Okay, with Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy and this summer's Man of Steel, composer Hans Zimmer has uh, now had a chance to write music for arguably the two, most, the two most popular comics characters in the world, Batman and Superman. Now that Zack Snyder has decided to bring a new Batman into the fold for the Man of Steel follow-up, grr, uh, Zimmer is faced with the decision to, uh, have whether to vi- revisit the Dark Knight or step aside and let someone else tackle the character. It's creating a bit of a problem in my head right now. Quite honestly, I've got to sit down with Zach and have a chat with him about what he's trying to do because what I don't know, what I won't want to do, is go back to that well. I'm having a hard time reading tonight. It's a very different Batman, Christian Bale, and what he what I did with Chris. That needs to have its autonomy autonomous life I don't want to go and now appropriate that and put that into the other Batman now that that I agree with but I don't think that makes him the wrong man for the job I, I will say that
0: right I, I agree for sure I think um, especially recently I've been more and more impressed with Zimmer's work and I think that he really could create a new Batman theme that does stand apart from his other previous Batman work and could really sort of build on to it um, well not build on to it you know what I mean uh build onto superman and uh i would be pretty upset if he left especially because i can't think of who would take over
1: yeah yeah well again i'll just say that uh men have come in and taken over for uh, sequels and done quite well remarkably well uh and, yeah. and, and and even like in going back to the case of uh harry harry potter um even taking over from John Williams who is uh, you know considered one of the greats so who scored the yeah. first three films so yeah you know but um, i will say too though that was following up on the terrible score for the fourth film by patrick doyle so he had nowhere <laughs> to go but up i
0: suppose right <laughs> um i also feel i should mention after that first paragraph in the article where uh it says write music for arguably the two most popular comics characters in the world. Um, he's actually adding a third to that. He is composing the score. Zimmer is composing the score for amazing Spider-Man two.
1: Hmm. Uh, another, another franchise I have no love for.
0: I know you don't, but I just – I learned that like two days ago, and it blew my mind because I had no idea because James Horner composed the score for the first Amazing Spider-Man film.
1: Now, is it you – and, and, and I, I can keep you two separate, but back in the early days of Movie By, you two were one of – some of the earliest fans, you and Corey Poff, and I can't remember if it was you or him or both of you that were really big fans of Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man franchise.
0: We both really liked it. I think Corey liked it a little bit more than I did. I think yeah. I ended up ranking it maybe four out of five. Oh, ew. ew.
1: <laughs> we cannot be friends, man. Wow.
0: Well, you you were hating on the film before you ever even saw it.
1: I Just even the concept of rebooting Spider-Man, like two, what was it, two years? I think they started production on it like a year after the, the uh, I, I don't remember, I get timeframes confused. But it's not, it's not been that long since the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, which were all awesome. Like, why would you do that? Like, let it go. Let let it breathe. <laughs> Step back. Let it breathe. It had a good run. Let it breathe. <laughs> and, and and then to follow it up with one of the worst films the entire cinematic universe has ever seen in the history of ever. Uh, anyway. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I've just lost Corey. He's just turned off the podcast, I'm sure. But uh, uh, sorry, Corey. Uh, all right. Uh, one more thing before we talk about Captain Phillips. Yeah, we still have a little time. Uh, the Alamo Draft House bans Madonna. Uh, this is according to Edward Davis over the playlist. Yeah. <laughs> I can't see you, but I assume you're clapping.
0: I, I was clapping.
1: Yes. Okay, so this is kind of rich, and you may have heard this story already, but in case you haven't, well, the irony is just too delicious to pass up. Last week during the New York Film Festival, Madonna was caught texting during Steve McQueen's 12 Years a Slave, a painful, brutal, unflinching film about the horrors of slavery starring... Uh, Ch- Chuettle, El- I can't pronounce that name, something. Michael Fassbender, Brad Pitt, and many more. When one audience member called out the material girl and asked politely to please stop texting, she had the gall to yell at the person and call them a particular type of 19th century tyrant. It's for business, enslaver. She shrieked and then continued to text. A poor choice of words and extremely poor taste if there was ever such a thing. And then my favorite part. I skip down and quote this: "Until she apologizes to movie fans, Madonna is banned from watching movies." Draft House head honcho Tim League tweeted last week. Uh, he means, of course, at the Draft House, she can go home and watch movies if she wants. Uh, and my position on this is: uh, Can we get a Draft House here in uh, Nashville, please?
0: <laughs> they actually just opened a Draft House near my home, uh, back near Dallas, and nice. so. I've always been a fan of Alamo Draft House. I don't know if you've been familiar with their advertising over the years, but uh, I
1: haven't. a couple,
0: but a couple of a couple of years ago, they released a a commercial for their cinema, and it was a customer complaint uh, about how she got kicked out of the theater for uh, uh, being on her cell phone. And so they made her entire conversation with customer service or voicemail or whatever it was their advertisement for uh, the theater listen, don't, don't come to our theater. If you're going to get on your phone,
1: (laughs) no kidding. Yeah. And I'm, I'm completely and totally behind that. If, uh, I don't care if you're running a theater and you want, if you let people text and carry on in your theater, fine. I just won't come to your theater. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am, I'm totally for this. And in fact, I'm contemplating a visit down to Austin, uh, Texas for reasons, which I may disclose later, uh, sometime at the end of this year. Well, I don't know if it's going to happen yet. Um, because I have uh, a place, a particular uh, agenda that I want to accomplish down in Austin, and we're going to be uh, about six hours away visiting relatives at the end of the year between Christmas and New Year's. Anyway, uh, so I would like that to coincide with a viewing of some film or other at the Alamo Draft House because I really want that experience.
0: That'd be cool.
1: Yeah, and I know, I know, of course that uh, down there in uh, I I assume since it's the Alamo Draft House, I I don't forgive me for not knowing the history. You probably, since you live down there in Texas, would know this better. Like I assume that started down in San Antonio or something.
0: I'm assuming so. Yes, Yes,
1: because it's the Alamo Draft House. So, but they've they've expanded. Well, they have like five theaters now across. You know, one up in New York where this happened with Madonna. So.
0: Oh, something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, i'm in fact i'm uh let mean let me uh, say alamo draft house we we do research right here on the show for you see, see how see how nice we are and i'm, <laughs> I'm gonna find the link to the draft drafthouse.com oh there's more than five i'm gonna put this in, in the show notes which will be found at moviebyte.com mb podcast slash 65 um all right one two three four five six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 14. We have Ashburn, Virginia, Austin, Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, Denver, Colorado, El Paso, Texas, Houston, Texas. Obviously, Texas is their big place right now. Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, Kansas City, Missouri, Lubbock, Texas, New Braunfels, Texas. Are you familiar with that place? I know Texas is like its own country, but you're you're the one who lives down there.
0: I didn't know there was one in Lubbock since when is that a thing I live in Lubbock right now.
1: Oh well it must maybe it's new uh, anyway San Antonio and San Francisco, California, Winchester Virginia and Yonkers, New York let's let's see what uh, and let me paste this into the show outline before <laughs> I forget and so I can put it into the show notes later uh bump bump bum. oh I something weird formatting is going weird with our show outline. All right here we go <clears throat> uh get my windows back in order here. Oh, we are currently under construction for the Alamo Draft House Cinema, Lubbock, located in the Northside Slide Square Development at the northwest corner of the Northside Road and Loop. Do you know where that's at? Loop two, I do. Yeah. Cool. So there you go. You're going to get a draft house very soon. Great. Uh, it doesn't say when that's coming. Man, can, can, can you – I'm, I'm going to give you an assignment, Chad. Uh-huh. An, an assignment as an official representative of moviebite.com. Uh, and I, as the owner of MovieBite.com, commission you to go and petition the Alamo Draft House people for an Alamo Draft House in Nashville.
0: Okay, I will put that upon myself. Yes, thank you, thank
1: you. I, I know I can count on you. you, you uh, and, and who could refuse the great and mighty MovieBite.com? <clears throat> All right, did I see you just pasted a YouTube link into the show notes?
0: Yes, that's that commercial I was talking about.
1: At the Alamo Draft House, we have a simple rule: if you talk, I missed, I missed it. Hang on, I gotta back up. If you talk or text during a movie, we kick you out. Sometimes that ticks the movie uh, moviegoers off. This is an actual voicemail. Of the yeah, customer. I
0: was wondering if you guys actually enjoy treating your customers like a piece
1: of. Oh.
0: <laughs> that's how I felt when I went to the Alamo Draft House. Okay. A the marker there. You know what? I didn't know that was not supposed to text, and your little. Theater. Hey, another marker. It was too <laughs> dark. Oh, big marker. For me to find my seat. All right. I was using my phone as a flashlight to get to my More seat.
1: More markers. So Sorry, guys. Excuse yeah. me
0: for using my good, phone. Good thing we're not streaming this UK, live. Yeah. America, where you are free to text in a theater. I was not aware that I couldn't text in your theater. All right. I've texted in all the other theaters in Austin, and no one ever marker. Knew a marker about what me? I was doing yep. in my phone, all right? And it was on silent. It wasn't on loud. It wasn't bothering anybody. You guys, obviously, were being
1: <laughs> Yeah, it was bothering people. I'm sure that's yeah. what you do. It's, it's you know, all right, written. you get the idea. The, the link for this is in the show notes uh, at the URL I gave a minute ago. And, um, you'll it, yeah, be aware I'm muting things. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm putting markers right now so that I can go and mute certain words that she's saying, uh, in it the, will in only the, be
0: censored here at movie, Bio. but
1: if you go to YouTube, you will get that. Uh, but, <laughs> but lots of fun. Yeah. She's saying like, it wasn't bothering anybody. I'm sorry. Like what, what is she talking about? I'm missing a little context here. Was the movie started when she's coming in with her flashlight phone thing?
0: I'm assuming it had.
1: Yeah. I mean, otherwise that's, I mean, cause you, You know what? And that 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 irritates me, too. Like, if if you're late, you don't get to use a flashlight to get to your favorite seat. You better get in the corner. If the movie's already started, you better go sit in the corner at the nearest seat you can find and shut up and be quiet because it's your fault that you were late.
0: Yeah, I think we could have a whole podcast talking about movie theater etiquette, TJ or lack thereof. Right.
1: (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, there you go. That uh, all those links from the show notes. Uh, why don't we move on to our review of Captain Phillips? What do you say? Sounds good. All right. Uh, so Captain Phillips. Um, it opened in theaters on October the 11th. It had a budget of 55 million. It opened to the tune of 25.7 million, and so far it's grossed 34 million. So it's you know it's not doing terrible, but on a budget of 55, they got a little ways to go. And it's kind of unfortunate, I think, that this film is pitted so heavily against Gravity, of which, though it's a good film, it simply cannot. Stand up to it. It just can't, right? Uh, in my opinion, and I've actually heard the opposite opinion, but not very much.
0: Uh,
1: right. it, it mostly, uh, it just you know, Gravity's just the better film, and it's going directly head to head against it, almost like almost head- directly.
0: Gravity's certainly more of a spectacle,
1: right? And and it's certainly more intense. And both films are kind of like the the idea is the intenseness. They're and right. they're intense in such different ways, um, so. Uh, Smart, powerfully acted, and incredibly intense, Captain Phillips offers filmgoers a Hollywood biopic done right and offers Tom Hanks a showcase for yet another brilliant performance. Why don't you tell us, uh, Chad, a little bit about the story uh, behind this film?
0: Okay. Two-time Academy Award winner Tom Hanks teams with Oscar-nominated director Paul Greengrass and screenwriter Billy Ray to tell the true story of Richard Phillips, a U.S. cargo ship captain who surrendered himself to Somali pirates so that his crew would be freed. The MV Maersk, Alabama, was en route to Mombasa, Kenya, when it was surrounded and boarded by a gang of hardened bandits led by the determined Muzi. As the crew of the Maersk, Alabama, rushed into a fortified secure room created for just such an incident, Phillips and Muzi found themselves in a tense standoff that threatened to erupt into violence at any moment.
1: Eh, not a bad description. I would have modified a couple of things, but that's the one that we found uh, directed by Paul Greengrass of the last two uh, Bourne films. And we don't count the Bourne film that he didn't direct that was after that. So I say the last two Bourne films. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, written by uh, Billy Ray, who also wrote the Hunger Games and a film I haven't seen yet, but I'd wanted to see it and I wasn't running movie Bite at the time. And so I just never got around to it. And that's flight plan uh, starring Jodie Foster. So he wrote those two films and, um, and uh, so, yeah, that's interesting, man. I mean, this guy, obviously, Billy Ray, the writer, has a future here because he's uh, – I mean, I heard good things about Flight Plan. The Hunger Games was great, and this movie was great. So, and I know yeah. that a lot of that has to do with Greengrass, so, but but obviously a lot of it has to do with the writer too. So that's very interesting. Now, what did you think uh, – while we're here and I'm looking at it in the show outline, what did you think of the score by Henry Jackman, who also did G.I. Joe Retaliation, Wreck-It Ralph, X-Men First Class, and Winnie the Pooh?
0: Um, I – this is one of the few scores that's come out recently that I haven't purchased on iTunes to listen to alone, but uh, watching the film, it it definitely added to the intensity, and there, there at the ending, uh, I have to point this out, the, the music that was playing right at the end of the film uh, reminded me a lot of Time by Zimmer from uh, Inception.
1: Man, I've heard that all over. I've heard that from everybody. I didn't note it. I've only seen Inception once. I didn't note anything special about Inception to ever inspire me to see it again. I'm in the minority on this. <laughs> yes, you uh, are. But um, yeah, so that's probably why I didn't why I didn't note it. But yeah, I thought the music was fine. Yeah, um, it sounds
0: great. And uh, uh, the explanation behind that similarity is that Henry Jackman is one of uh, Zimmer's proteges. You should say. You could say.
1: It, it's kind of how when uh, Crisp adults, uh scored the Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, He was a student, I understand, is that right, of Hans Zimmer? Yes, I believe so. And it's almost like he ripped off some of Gladiator's themes uh, throughout the first movie, which kind of locked in, I think, Hans Zimmer into that kind of motif as well. Right. Uh, Which which I love uh, the scores, all the scores uh, for uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, although – the second film is obviously the superior film there. Oh, definitely. But um, yeah, I love all those scores. So I'm not complaining, but it is interesting how that works. I mean, and they're all, you know, Hans Zimmer. Everything goes back to Hans Zimmer. He is one of my favorite composers. So <laughs> uh, no no complaints, not, not really any complaints there. No. All right, Chad. Well, what did you think about this film?
0: I really enjoyed it. I thought Hanks was outstanding, uh, especially, and I really liked how – uh, they sort of humanized all the characters. It wasn't just good guys versus bad guys. It wasn't clear cut like that.
1: Yeah, no, not at all. And and that's that's definitely a good thing. I think given given the nature of the story, like right, um, you know, I understand uh, that. Uh, I, I see because I, I can kind of I can kind of see both sides, and I know that's you, you know. <laughs> I know people – you, you've got your liberals and you've got your conservatives and you got you know they tend to be divided down the middle on this subject, and I don't think it's quite so clear cut. I, I do understand the position from which these Somali pirates are coming, and especially when you know none, these guys are like almost not, – not completely being forced, but by nature of the circumstances they're in, they're kind of being forced into these positions. Now, I'm not making excuses for them either. Humans make choices, and if those choices are bad choices that – uh, results in the deaths of other people by murder uh or accidental killing if you can if you can do that or you know outright beating someone in the head with a pipe wrench <laughs> for, for instance <laughs> right <laughs> um yeah, I mean, the, these are decisions that humans make, and if they make these decisions, I don't care what your circumstances are, they're, they're wrong, and, and action needs to be taken against them. If you steal a ship with, you know, millions and millions of dollars with a cargo on it, you know, I, at, the, at the same time, while I understand the situation that this person is in, you did wrong, they did wrong and it needs to be taken care of. So I, I, I thought this movie walked a very fine line in that regard. Right. So, and I thought it did a good job, and and, and I don't know to what extent you know it's accurate to the uh, to the real life circumstances, which this film was based on a real life scenario, and that that leads me to one of the links that I have here that's related to Captain Phillips, where the crew members say that Captain Phillips is a big lie, and I had not read anything about this uh, going into the film. Thankfully, Uh, I for all I knew, watching the film, it was my my experience of the film was this is you know probably as true to life as it can be. Um, and, and I still am not convinced that it's not, uh, because they even set up in the film, you will remember Chad, uh, a little bit, they, they, they did, they just touched on it briefly, but the union guys on the ship were kind of, you know, I eh, 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 will turn back, you know, don't we, we don't want to do our jobs sort of thing. And, and the captain was like, here's what we're paid to do and we're going to do it. Right. So I wonder to what extent something like that plays in. And, and you know, in hindsight is 2020 at the same time, some of the accusations they bring in this article, which I'm linking up in the show notes, uh, are are interesting and worthy of, of consideration. Uh, so I don't know. What what do you think about all this stuff about the crew members saying that Captain Phillips is really a big lie and nothing like this really happened? I mean, it didn't go this way.
0: You know, if it really didn't go this way, I mean, I guess you could say it's a little bit disappointing, but that doesn't really change my opinion of the film. The fact is right. it's a great film.
1: Absolutely. And, and, and you know, it, it's not meant to be a biopic necessarily. I mean, it, I think it kind of is and it isn't. So, but at the same time, you know, regardless of how true to life it is, it tells a great story and it has great uh, values with which we can look up to uh, in, in Captain Phillips. Um, mm-hmm. And and uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed the. I I don't think that it would really lessen my enjoyment of the film as a film to to know these right. things. Uh, but I, at the same time, I'm glad I didn't know it or hear it before before going into the film. At the same time, yeah. So that's that's it, if it's true, it is kind of a bummer. I I will definitely definitely give you that. All right, so let's let's go ahead and dive in here, um, and uh, let's talk about the opening of the film. Uh, before I give you my opinion, which I know what it is, uh, and, and, and I still think it's a great film, but what did you think about how this film kind of started out?
0: Uh, I'm trying to remember how it started out.
1: He's uh, driving to the airport with his wife.
0: Oh, that's right. Uh, well, I thought it did a really good job of setting up the kind of person he was. Um, he's a man who cares for his family. Um, he, he, we, we see him snatch the family picture off of his desk at home to take with him. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to think of other things to say about it, but I, I mean, I didn't see any problems with it.
1: Well, I'm at, I, I'm asking obviously with the intention of giving you my opinion. And that is right. that <laughs> I think this movie is good in spite of the terrible way that this film opened. Now, now I understand what they were trying to do but and they were trying to make it like seem very real to life, but there's a way in which real life doesn't translate very well on screen. Um, it, you know, we, we didn't come to the theater to watch a home movie and it, it kind of felt like that at first. Like they were, they were, you know, they're trying to give us a peek and a glimpse into the, um, kind of, kind of the home life of this guy and how he feels and how he would actually talk to his wife. And none of it really worked for me. Like, I was I was like, oh, my goodness, what have I gotten myself into on top of Paul Greengrass's <laughs> terrible camera style, which the movie was good oh, in yeah. spite of Paul Greengrass's terrible, <laughs> terrible camera style, uh, terrible cinematography. Uh, ter- all that aside, like I the, just the the way it, and we know it's not because Tom Hanks is a bad actor. <laughs> we we know that. So we know it was right. the way he was directed in the opening scene. I don't know. I just felt like it really failed. At capturing real life because it was so poorly constructed. Um, I, I I really had a problem with the opening, I really did. Hmm. But but I it wasn't long. I, I don't know that that probably lasted maybe fifteen minutes. And by the time we got to the shipyard, um, well, I guess my other problem with the opening is I felt like we didn't spend enough time figuring out what was going on in Somalia. Um, like I. <sighs> i wanted I wanted a little more time with with Musi and with the the africans and and figuring out what the kind of what the motivations were going on that were were pushing us into the story like we we figured out as we went, but I felt like it would have been better to establish more of that and to spend a little more time with with Musi, even if that meant making the movie a little longer I don't know yeah so so but those two things aside like like that probably took all of 15 minutes. By the time we get to the shipyard, I was engaged in the movie for sure. Yeah. So anyway, um, that those were, those were a few of my, my opening notes. Uh, I'm looking at a list of notes, so I'm going to let you go and and talk about something that you want to talk about.
0: Um, okay. Um, like I said already, I, I like that, that it didn't just paint the pirates as bad guys. It, it, Um, From the very beginning, like I I didn't expect to be treated to their point of view. And after we're introduced to Captain Phillips preparing to leave for Somalia, um, we're panned over to Somalia and we're being introduced to the pirates who are eventually going to take over the ship. And we see what their uh, living situation is like and that they have to scramble for a job and that um, they're all – 16 to 18 years old, uh, going out and doing these things like this, and it's it yeah. it's really a a solemn sort of introduction to this because obviously we know what's going to happen. This is this is real life after all. Yeah. Um, no no sense
1: trying to make it a mystery or hide it or anything.
0: Right. It it, it almost gives us a little bit of compassion for those characters uh, from the get go. Not not in the sense that uh, we were rooting for them, but that you know oh man, the, these guys are really struggling. It's a shame that they went through what they went through.
1: Sure. Yeah, for sure.
0: And, um, uh, the, the line that really struck me later in the film, uh, Captain Phillips says to him, uh, surely you can be something more than a fisherman or kidnappers. And, uh, res- responds with maybe in America.
1: Yeah. Maybe. In and America. It, it
0: just really sort of hits home right there. I thought, um, yeah, I mean, we're really fortunate over here.
1: Yeah, I think we forget sometimes living in a first first world country how great it is living in a first world country, and and yet, yeah, and I'm I'm as guilty as anyone. We complain about the politics. Uh, we complain about uh, you know the stupid you know uh, congressmen you know <laughs> who can't do their jobs. Uh, we complain right. about them uh, spending all our tax money. But you know these really are first world problems, and we really have it really well here. Uh, and we're we're you know at some extent when we when we get into politics we're trying to prevent that from decaying but at the same time it, it's it's often hard for us to remember that they don't have it so well over there uh, even even if we know it in the back of our heads like I know that I can't really internalize just how how living over there would be and especially when you're kind of being coerced into things by a warlord by a Somali warlord which is essentially what was going on with Musi right. So, uh, yeah. And and speaking of, of Musi, I, I thought I was I was blown away. Like I, I thought when I watched the trailers, thought, OK, he probably does a passable job. The, 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 I, the focus here is really going to be Captain Phillips. But I thought that that the guy who played Musi did a fantastic job.
0: Oh, you know? I agree. And, you know, there's been some talk I've seen online about him possibly getting uh, award nominations. Oh, I should certainly hope so. I should certainly hope so.
1: My, I mean, right now, as it stand, as it standing for me right now of all the films I've seen this year, and I know we have a couple more months to go in the year, but of all the films I've seen thus far this year, Gravity, of course, is way at the top of the list, uh, and right below it here is Captain Phillips and Tom Hanks and uh, what's his name? I'm sorry, I can't, I can't remember it because I can't pronounce it. Uh, ba- Barkad Abdi. Um, Yeah, he he well deserves uh, nominations, uh, certainly nominations, maybe runner up for best actor, you know, behind Sandra Bullock, Bullock perhaps, in my opinion, right now. Um, And then Tom Hanks way up there. Of course, you would as you would expect, not a surprise. Uh, He was just more of a surprise, more of an unknown, I guess you would say.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I'm. I looked him up on Wikipedia a few days ago after I saw the film, and I'm pretty sure this is his first acting job.
1: Oh, it, it, I think so too. Yeah, definitely. And I was I was actually watching a, a like a video interview with him um, just uh, before the show, actually. So I'm, I'm trying to look right now on IMDb and see what he has going on. Yeah, um, Captain Phillips, Musi. Yeah, that's his first film. And uh so I'm trying to like like see if Google has Google doesn't even you know, sometimes when you when you put an actor's name into Google, not sometimes all the time. When you put an actor's name into Google, it comes up with a sidebar of information about the actor. That that's not even here, so I can't tell you much about the actor right now. Like I'm trying to figure out he has an accent. I'm assuming he was born in Africa, raised in Africa.
0: Yeah, the, his Wikipedia profile says he's a Somali American actor. Yeah. So
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely would would be interested in seeing him in some more things. He was great. He was awesome. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I I agree with you, too, on the front that uh, nice, just a nice overall balance of characters in general, despite my complaints of not getting to spend enough time with the Somali pirates earlier in the film, a nice balance overall of not just telling it from one viewpoint, which I know that's a storytelling choice, but this was not that would not have been a good choice to make for this film and, and, and Greengrass didn't make that his uh his his uh his choice you know another another element speaking of the actors i, I don't know this guy's name and he was you know le- he was less important to the story More he was more of a catalyst for things it was the guy who you know was flying off the handle all the time the, the african who was uh-huh. just losing it uh right. and, and i thought that uh he definitely brought something to the film that was needed again it's like i i i, I assume that since this is based on captain phillips book that these characters are at least modeled on the characters that were present.
0: Yeah, I'd I assume so.
1: So, uh, let's see. <clears throat> Looking over my list, feel free to chime in.
0: Um, I walked into this film anticipating the shaky cam because I knew it was green Oh, Yes, ass. that's something we. Can but uh, I, I, I didn't think it was awful. I mean, it on the level of born supremacy to. <laughs> I don't know what else. Um, it, it definitely wasn't as bad as Born Supremacy, um, but well, nothing it was nothing occasionally is. distracting.
1: Nothing is as bad as Born Supremacy.
0: <laughs> no.
1: Yeah, but, I, I feel like in the Born Supremacy, it was it was at its peak. It was at the worst. Like, and that style was really a big thing then. Because I, I I had this memory from the Born films that that was what really was the catalyst for this big, uh, you know, hand um, handheld style but that, yeah, that no is, doubt. but but that didn't even really start in the first film like i watched the first film again what's it been like 8 or 9 months ago and the first film like it was pretty good cinematography well choreographed there were times when it was a little bit handheld uh, but mostly not and well choreographed fight scenes And that film the the action was not driven by the 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 uh the um shaky cam in the born supremacy uh, they they like they they gave the camera to the camera guy and they said, "Go crazy <laughs> and we're not gonna we're not gonna bother to choreograph anything. It's just gonna whatever happens happens it's what it feels like i' I'm, I'm not I'm not right. saying it they didn't choreograph things, but it felt like the that the uh, shaky cam, was making up for the fact that they didn't have a choreographer and you could tell it like it just wasn't any good. You couldn't tell what was going on. And when you could see what was going on, it didn't make any sense. And, and why was, I mean, why were they not fighting better? You know, these highly trained, highly skilled, you know, the Carl Urban character and, and, uh, um, what's his name's character, Jason Bourne. And, and you know, so it was really bad, and that really was, I think, a catalyst i I don't know whether it was a catalyst or participating in. I think it for me, that was the first film that really adopted the style like and internalized it.
0: I think most people do attribute it to Greengrass and Born Supremacy. Yeah,
1: and he just—he has done no. F- so I—I I really kind of have a, a, a miffed attitude at Greengrass for this. Like you—you inter- you introduce something bad into the cinematography, cinema, cinema culture <laughs> for for right. for the for the decade or for the next two decades, probably. This is not good. This is bad. All right. So <laughs> that said, I felt like he struck a better balance in the Born Ultimatum. Although yeah, I sure. I didn't care about I, I didn't like I still didn't like the style. I felt like it was a better balance. Like he brought some choreography back. Like there was actual choreography in the fighting. <laughs> and I feel like this is on the same level. So so all that backstory is to bring it and, and bring it up to here. I feel like this is on the same level as the Born Ultimatum. It's not really any better. It's not really any worse. It's 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 kind of the same.
0: Yeah, And with well, that
1: said, there were times when it was completely inappropriate, and I wish he would have put that camera on a dolly or a cam and showed us the scene so that we could see it.
0: Right. <laughs> I, I do think there were some moments when it provided the tension I think he was aiming for. Um, I
1: guess. I, I just think it's a really a bad moments. way. I think it's I, a I, really, really bad way to show you tension in a film.
0: There are I agree.
1: great ways to do it, and that's not it.
0: Right. I mean,
1: since this is on the heels of gravity, we can compare it uh, to gravity. And gravity provided this tension, unbelievable tension. You're in the edge of your seat and the camera is extremely steady. They were doing it through story, through the the visuals, through uh, Sandra Bullock's acting and through music. They didn't need to shake the camera around so you couldn't see what was going on. And so you were like in a
0: frenzy. Right. I agree. But I do think we have to. Uh, admit that these are on com- two completely different planes. One takes place in space where there's no gravity and the other takes place on uh, uh, essentially like a barge in the middle of the ocean.
1: Yeah, I, I know. I know. But, but good, <laughs> good cinematography is still good cinematography. And so right. when I say that Captain Phillips was good, it was good in spite of the cinematography. That's all I'm That's trying fair. to say. <laughs>
0: I, I wrote in my notes that it wasn't awful, but it didn't add anything.
1: Right. It's like, why, why is the camera shaking? I don't get it. (laughs) That's the sort of thing. Um, uh, let's see. I I wrote these notes on my phone and I'm having a hard time deciphering this one. So I'm going to skip it. Um, there's a very interesting, uh, scene towards the, it's toward the end when they're in the lifeboat. And, uh, this is the sort of thing I think that's, um, I, I don't quite know what to make of it. I liked it, but I, I, in, in, I've heard other people talk about it, but it's like where he said I, I didn't know what my takeaway was supposed to be of this, so I'd be interested to see if you know um, where Tom Hanks. Because uh, because all throughout Muzi has just insisted I'm just a fisherman. I'm just a fisherman trying to make a living, and you know. And then at one point he talks about how you you people have sh- you've taken all the fish out of out of you know, and so I have to do this. You know, I'm a fisherman well towards the end uh as 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 things are ramping up, and Musi is really refusing to back down on stuff and the and the other, you know the irate African is irate uh, and uh <laughs> um Hank says you're not just a fisherman and and it was a very quick passing moment, but it, it it seemed impactful at the time, and yet I don't quite know what my takeaway was supposed to be from that
0: I don't know here's what I guess I can sort of add to it um Tom Hanks was phenomenal in this movie. He, he played such an in-depth character. I thought whether Phillips is like this in real life, I don't know, but, um, he was, he had such an evident compassion for his family, for his crew. And even at points, maybe even at this point for the pirates, I thought, um, what, what's the syndrome where you start to feel compassion for your captors? Uh, is it Stockholm?
1: Uh, that sounds right.
0: I believe it's Stockholm Syndrome. And I don't think, I mean, obviously he's not got full full Stockholm Syndrome here. But I think Phillips understands the situation that these young men are in. And um, Muzi was only 18 years old when he did this. I, I don't know. They, they never, like, draw out his age in the film. But hes he was only 18 years old in real life. And uh, Hank sees that they're just children and that they're desperate. And I think that was just his way of sort of maybe instilling a confidence in him. You know, if you make it through this, there's more to your life than this. Yeah. Um, And so maybe that was a takeaway. It it was just this really great side to the character, uh, to Phillips, where he was compassionate to everybody.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and, and as, as it went on, I think you kind of, I think like he kind of grew into that. Like at first, you know, he was terrified but as things went on, um, you, you know, I think one illustration of what I'm trying to say, let, let me let me illustrate what I'm trying to say rather than not say it, because I can't figure out what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> as as we're moving on in the lifeboat portion of the film, um, you see like like when the Navy shows up and Phillips, uh, Captain Phillips finally gets a look out the window and he sees like that not just one battleship, but three you know, three ships, you know, full on Navy is out there for this one little lifeboat. And he starts freaking out, but he's not freaking out necessarily for himself. He's freaking out because like these guys are going to die. There is right. no way this ends well for them, you know, and, and yes, he is freaking out for himself too. like he I think he at this point he realizes they can't let me get back to they can't let they can't let the pirates get me back to Somalia. This ends one way or another before they get there, and if they can't, they don't. You know, if they don't get me the hostage out, I'm done. I'm. I'm, Oh, here we go. Bad pun. I'm sunk. (laughs) (laughs) That's. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um. hmm. So yeah, I mean, that's what I'm trying to say about Captain Phillips is the sort of thing that he's kind of grown into in 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 realizing that these these. These pirates, yeah, they're doing a bad thing, but they've kind of been forced into it, right? Yeah, and 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 speaking of of the navy, um, I I really like the portrayal here of the navy. There's just a little bit of menace in it, like at the you know, especially when the admiral says uh, to the captain of the of the ship that is on the scene first, you know, you have this amount of time to solve this, uh, but under no circumstances can we allow the pirates to take you know to continue with this hostage to Somalia. You know, we'll have to take whatever measures are necessary to make sure that doesn't happen. And there's just a there's a hint of a of just an ominous thing going on there. Uh, and and I think that it strikes the right now. Like like so many films are either like military bad or military really good. Like like hagiographies of the military. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and uh, I think this strikes a really good balance. Like yeah, those men and women that were serving in our navy. Uh, they were really well-trained, and that's the only reason that Captain Phillips got out of the situation alive. But there was a little bit of menace there, too. Like, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know about that Admiral yeah. saying. At, after a certain amount of time expires, get, you know, fire everything! You know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> She didn't say that, but that's kind of the, I think, the takeaway is, like, they're they're going to kill everybody on that boat if they can't get the hostage
0: out. Right. So...
1: Yeah, and 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 so so Phillips, you know, Captain Phillips, kind of freaking out when the when he looks out and sees that there are several Navy ships out there. You know, I I think it's kind of justified. Then he's not a fool.
0: Yeah, what did you think of the runtime of this film, TJ? Uh,
1: Remind me how long it was. I I know it was long.
0: Two hours and fifteen minutes.
1: Yep, yep, two hours fourteen. That's what I'm seeing here. Okay, yeah, and I remember that I remember looking at my a phone as I walked out of the theater, not during the theater, of course, not during the movie, but as I was walking out, going, Oh my, it's, it's later than I expected because I, I really hadn't paid attention to the runtime of the film. I, I and I try not to look, pay atten- too much attention to the runtime of the film, Chad beforehand. Right. Uh, because oh, I, really? I want the, I want the film to, uh, if it seems long, I don't want it to seem long because I saw the runtime. I want it to seem long because the story doesn't deserve to be as long as the film is. And so right. I did. I felt like this film was the right length. Uh, I, yeah. I even though it was over two hours, it's not a hard and fast rule for me. It's just a general rule. Like in general, if a film goes over two hours, my general feeling is usually that film was too long. And th- this film didn't feel that way. Um, yeah. yeah, even though the ending, like a lot of a lot of directors may have ended it, you know, even before we got to the end scene of this film, and and yet I felt like it was completely justified. This is the one where. Uh this is a spoiler alert you guys. I mean, I, I it's a real life event. I don't know how anybody could not know this. So spoiler, here we go. You know, Captain Phillips makes it through the ordeal. Uh so so in the ending scene when he's, you know, blubbering on the table. I mean, that was just such an awesome scene. Like, you know, he 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 really, you know, the 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 um nurse uh, is is, you know, the the military nurse is trying to dress up his wounds and trying to take care of him. And he just really can't get two words strung together. And, you know, yeah. and sitting there as intense as everything was and going through what he went through, he's like, yeah, that that's, that's about right. I mean, I think that maybe be, and I'm not, I'm not over exaggerating here. I think that may be Hank's best performance in the entire movie.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I actually have somebody who I interacted with on Twitter, uh, uh, who saw the film and he said that that scene was the best scene in any film of the year. Uh, he says, maybe so. is phenomenal. The medic, the score, the direction, all of it was incredible. And I'm inclined to agree with him. I mean, that scene was very, very powerful because we've, we've gone through this entire ordeal with him. And now that he's made it out the stress is off of his shoulders, but it's not off of his shoulders yet. And so, I mean, it's, it, he's just sort of in that in between state where, what do I do? Did this really just happen to me? I can't right. really get over it. And it, hanks is wow i mean it's it's really emotional watching
1: yeah i've certainly i mean i know hanks is a good actor but i've certainly never seen acting even that good from him before so it, it was right. really good um so yeah uh uh the the i, I do have some more complaints though as good as the film was i just i have a couple of of minor notes and and what you know one of these is like um <laughs> i think i heard somebody put it like you uh You have plot holes with real life or you're finding plot holes in real life because this is the really like (laughs) one of my complaints is why the heck do these ships, these big freighters that are unarmed? They have, you know, they don't. A, why do they not have security on these ships? Why do they not have guns? I mean, come on. And, And B... Why in the heck are these railings that they were able to latch the ladders onto? Why is there not some safety system whereby the captain can hit a button and they break away and fall into the ocean? Like the reason (laughs) they could get on this ship. And again, this is a plot hole in real life, right? Like the yeah. reason they could get on this ship is because these railings were – they could hook the ladders on these railings. And the only defense they have is fire hoses to sink – hopefully get the water in their little boats and sink the boats, which is just ridiculous.
0: Well, TJ, why did the Titanic not have lifeboats to seat half of their passengers? Well, that
1: one's easy. It's because of the arrogance of the shipbuilders.
0: Right. And I mean, I mean I'm not saying that's the same case here, but stuff like that happens – Unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I know. It's just like, ugh, come on. <laughs> we, we need some better designed ships. Um, yeah. And and then my other complaint, and this is more of a, it could be a plot hole in the movie because who knows how true this is to real life. Again, I, I assume since it's based on a book written by Captain Phillips that it has some truth to it, but they kept, you know, first of all, Hanks is stressing, I'm in seat 15. I'm in seat 15. They should know I'm in seat 15. I'm in seat 15. And and then you know they when they're when they're starting their operation and they're still able to communicate with Hanks you know as they said we want to see Hanks they bring him to the to the door uh, I should I should use his his name Captain Phillips not the actor's name that'd be proper right. here um, I, we we want to make sure he's still I want to see him and they're saying you know make sure you stay in your seat you must be in the seat that you were told us you were sitting in make sure that like my thought I mean. How stupid are these pirates? Like, my, if I was one of those pirates, I'd be like, "No, you don't get to sit in that seat. They're obviously planning something." <laughs> no, you fair. can't sit
0: there. That's a fair point. I was, I, I, admit to thinking something along those lines while watching. But it, I don't know. You get flamed up about these things a little bit more than I do, TJ. This is why
1: I have a <laughs> podcast. I, I want to talk about these things. I want to ask. I want to ask the hard questions in life. Why are there plot holes in movies, Chad? Why are there plot holes?
0: Especially real life ones.
1: Yeah, especially the ones in real life. Like can we can we clear those up please like now? <laughs> I don't know. I, I Yeah, I mean that really bothered me. And, and and again, if that's if that's the way it actually happened, then fine. But if that's a plot device of the film, I'm sorry. That's just sloppy writing. Much as I like the movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm I'm sort of interested to read the book now just to see how how it compares and stuff like that. But
1: yeah, I would be too. I definitely would be. Um yeah, I I've started another book right now though, so I can't really but Same uh, here. Let let um before we talk I do want to talk about that. Uh but before we do, um do you have anything else?
0: Um no, I've gone through everything on my list.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean I think it's one of those films there's not quite as much to talk about as it was with Gravity, because it's not quite as good a film as, as Gravity. And and no. um uh let me see here. Clark, who's been on the podcast before He's talked about – and I can't remember if he talked about this uh, privately in an email or offline or something or whether he mentioned it on the show with me. But uh, he talks about – he he said how hard it is um, to kind of talk about a film that's just mediocre because you neither hated it nor didn't hate it so you don't have strong feelings to talk about. I've, you know, So I think that there's varying degrees of that. Like this film was really good, so there is a lot to talk about, but not as much as Gravity. So it's like a scale. No, So – um, yeah, I mean, cause it was really good. So I, I, uh, before we, before we talk about the book that I'm reading uh, which will be related to a movie we'll be reviewing later, what did you, what, what, would you rate this film out of five stars?
0: I'm giving it four and a half because I really, really did enjoy it. It's not up on the scale as gravity. And essentially I took off the half a star for the shaky cam.
1: Yeah. You, you gave gravity a, uh, a, a five stars. Is that correct? I, I did. Yeah. I gave gravity four and a half. So I'm right kind of in the same thinking with you. Uh, so, so the kind of the plot holes, uh, that I mentioned the opening of the film, uh, those kind of take off half a star for me. However, uh, I'm not going to stop there because I had some other complaints with this film, as I mentioned, um, and that would be namely as you mentioned the shaky cam so that takes off another half star if if oh. paul greengrass could get off that stupid shaky cam thing that he does i would be much happier so i give it 4 out of 5 stars which is still pretty high praise for yeah. me that's pretty yeah, high I praise for me fair. yeah for you that's fair so i'm i'm, I'm very hypercritical man I, <laughs> I i very hypercritical like i want things to be just so uh, have, you should visit my my, uh, my desk at work sometime. Uh, yeah, it's clean. Uh, <laughs> I, I usually like and, – and, and sometimes a, a friend of mine will who sits next to me, he'll be like, dude, are you, what are you doing? I'm like – because I'll be like straightening the, the pens or something. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's messy. I got to clean it up. Uh, so anyway, I'm very particular about things. Uh, don't look at my office at home right now because I, I don't spend enough time in here to keep it clean like I want to. Anyway, so before we before we wrap up the show, uh we do have a not not it'll be in a couple of weeks, but we have a movie coming out on November the first, I believe. Ender's, Ender's game. game. I am listening to the audiobook.
0: I'm reading the the book.
1: Oh, so that's the book you're reading? Yeah. Cool. Have you listened to the audiobook?
0: I haven't. Who's who's reading?
1: I can't remember his name, but he's awful. <laughs>
0: Is he? <laughs> That's why
1: I wanted to talk about it. He's so terrible. And, and it's like I can tell despite how terrible he is at reading the book, I can tell that the book is interesting. I just wish that it was being read by a better person. I wish I had time to actually read the book because I love reading books. But yeah. I'm working – You're just mad like, it's
0: not Jim Dale.
1: Well, that's what my wife said because, like, I go on about how great Jim Dale is, and, and and my wife says to me, are you sure you're not just knocking it because it's not Jim Dale? I'm like, well, I've listened to other audiobooks, and I've never felt this way about it before. Like, I, sure, in the back of my head, it's like, boy, I can just imagine how great this would be if Jim Dale were reading it, but this is just terrible. Like, it's kind of monotone and, and not very – cadence is not very good, I'm like, and this is a professional audiobook. Like, what's the deal? I don't know. I just I, – maybe it's just that I don't like the style. I don't know. Maybe but it is i i do find it a very interesting read uh when when was the book first published
0: 1985
1: okay there you go so that i mean even for 1985 it doesn't feel like super cheesy 80s sci-fi might might no. feel it it has a pretty nice feel to it. there's some things like you know the whole desk thing you know um that they they do the, the, we would call sort of computers what do you mean desk <laughs> you know those <laughs> sorts of things but you know, at the same time, you can kind of write it up to how language and usage might change in the future. One thing I've missed, though, uh, maybe you can tell me. You've read the books before, right?
0: Uh, I haven't. This oh, is my first okay.
1: Have you caught on to wh- kind of what year it is? Because I missed that somehow, or it's just not been said.
0: I'm on the Wikipedia page. It, it, the Wikipedia synopsis just says sometime in the near future. I don't okay. think it's too far off from so where we're at. He's now.
1: probably purposely avoided the giving the year then.
0: Yeah. I mean, sort of, it sort of makes it timeless in that respect, I, I guess. Yeah, I suppose
1: so. All right. Well, we'll be reviewing that soon and I'm, I'm hoping to have the audiobook finished before November 1st. We'll see how that goes. I'm not, I'm not, I'm barely a quarter of the way through it right now and I probably started it a week ago. So it doesn't, yeah. doesn't bode well, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> All right, so Chad, uh, after listening to you ramble – you and me ramble on about uh, this film and how great we thought it was, people might like to find more of our work online. Where can they, where can they find
0: your, you at? You can find my writing at chadlikesmovies.com. Uh, you can find me at facebook.com slash chad.hopkins and on Twitter at twitter.com slash chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A, I think. I th- I, I, I think I messed best up way time. to
1: do it is to go to moviebyte.com and and uh, go to your profile on the people page and click on you and find you there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. And me, I, I have a little bit easier a uh, name on Twitter. I am TJ Draper pro the only, and I'm sorry that it's TJ Draper pro. I wish I could have TJ Draper, but somebody's squatting on that. Those useless people they are squatting on that <laughs> name. I suppose he thinks he's important or something, but Anyway, TJ Draper Pro is where you can find me on Twitter. Uh, you know, Look up my work, uh, my writing on MovieByte. I write a little something every day. I write reviews, uh, not really once a week, but I do write reviews on MovieByte.com. Um, and uh, of course, uh, this podcast is the other place you can find me. Uh, and uh, you can find back episodes and stuff like that. And I also do a podcast called The Wrap, uh, which releases every Friday. It's kind of a recap of the great news and fun stuff throughout the week. So be sure to check that out as well. Uh, we would love it if you take the time to rate and review the show in iTunes. Go to iTunes and search for Movie Bite; will be the first result and go in there and uh, give us five stars. We'd really love you for that if you did that. So, yeah. and, and leave some positive comments. Tell, tell, tell us how much you loved the show. And if you want to get in touch with us and email us and, and give us feedback about the show or interact with us on any given subject, uh, do that on Twitter. Send us an email, info at moviebyte.com. Uh, you can find the show notes for this episode at moviebite.com slash mbpodcast slash 65. Well, I think that's all we've got this week, Chad. So great talking to you about a great movie. Uh, we'll talk to you next week about The Fifth Estate. Yes. Uh, so, and we're out of here. Thanks, Chad.
0: Thank you.